Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespa.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs, and money experts. Okay, so it's time to open the wallet again. I have a question for you. Have you ever shared your salary details with friends or colleagues? How did you feel about that? What were the results? Most of us wouldn't do it because, well, it just feels awkward. Also, we fear people will see us as greedy or difficult when we ask for more. But asking for more is important. Women are earning £260,000 less than men over their careers. And the COVID crisis will have long-lasting impact on our salaries. Equal pay became low in 1970, but almost 8 in 10 companies still pay their male employees more. This gender pay gap has direct consequences on women's wealth. Less money earned means less savings, more debt and less money invested. We have to recognize that money is also power. But it's not easy. We must overcome the fear of talking about money and recognize our emotions around it too. Viviana Deosan has seen three promotions and three pay rises in the last six years. She's an experienced account manager at a large tech company and a long-time ambassador for Vespod. She knows negotiating can be daunting. But today, she's going to tell us about her journey to help us all basically get paid. Please note that we recorded this episode with Vivian pre-COVID times and before I gave birth. Hi, Viv. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Thank you for coming to The Wallet today. It's one of our first episodes. And I wanted to talk about negotiation and knowing your worth. So can you tell me, is it easy for you to talk about money and salary negotiation? Well, thank you for having me. I am honored to be here and this is very exciting. Is it easy to talk about money and salary negotiation? Good question. I'd say for me, it's certainly easier now. That hasn't always been the case. Like you say, it can be awkward. It can be daunting, especially when you don't know where to start or how to begin. So I think I'm definitely more comfortable now with some experience, with practice. You know, practice is sort of the underlying thing that we all need to do to get to where we need to be and just exposure to different scenarios and situations. When it comes to salary negotiation, I think there's always work to be done there. You're always learning new skills and how to deal with people. But like I say, it comes with character building and also depends on who you're speaking to as well. Yeah. And I think many discussions happen in, in the Vespad community and very often we tend to associate our self-worth with our net worth. So like talking about money becomes very emotional. How did you overcome these, these barriers? I think for me, I wouldn't necessarily associate my income to my self-worth. I think it's important to maybe do a brain dump of what the things you value. So yes, I completely appreciate the reality of making money and, and what it can afford and the opportunities and the buying power it gives me. But also... You know, I value other things in life as well, like well-being and mental health and, you know, feeling good about the things that I do and where I want to be. So I think all of that comes into play. And 
they're kind of my motivations for when I am negotiating my salary. Will this afford me the opportunities that I, I want? Will this afford me, you know, the buying power that I need to, I don't know, pay for that holiday or make X amount in 10 years time and be able to invest? Will it give me more opportunity to be more adventurous with my investing, etc. So once you get all of that under your belt, it kind of sets the preface for why you're negotiating and why you're asking for what it is that you want. And then it makes that conversation a little bit easier because you have something that you're trying to get to and negotiation is just a part of life and a hurdle that everybody needs to cross at one point to get there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell our auditors where... Where do you come from? I mean, I know you really well from, from Vespod. You've been running like negotiation workshops for, for us. You spoke at my book launch. Where do you come from? Why, you know, why are you working in sales today? What's, what's your background? Oh, so my story, I do feel like I've kind of bumbled my way through my career so far. You know, I've wanted to pursue various different things at various different times. You know, I, I studied law at university. After that, I was in retail and fashion for a while and then I went into the financial services and kind of landed there <laughs> unexpectedly so I've always been open to opportunities and I think through that and through that mindset I've arrived at where I am I always knew that I wanted to be in a role that lends itself towards my strengths I know it's super vague but sometimes when you are open to opportunities you never know what could arise I didn't even know my industry existed to be honest so I've been in the financial services but I I work for a SaaS solutions company I've always been in well I've been in this space for a good part of 10 years now but at the beginning I definitely didn't envision <laughs> I didn't envision myself being here if you had asked me this 10 years ago so just having conversations networking with people and finding out what they do oh that sounds exciting how do I get there <laughs> you know and I think that's kind of carried me To this stage one of the the big takeaways for me from your workshop is that you always say you don't get what you don't ask for I think this is really true for women it's really hard to ask for for more yeah what triggered your first salary negotiation oh so this was my first job in the financial services sector and over lunch I was with my colleagues at the time two two guys from the team and I don't know how we landed on the topic of salary but we did And I found out that they were on more than me, not significantly more, but more. And I felt slighted. I felt like, why am I not on the same? We're all doing the same thing. That doesn't make sense to me. Now we have statistics like gender pay gap where, you know, women are earning, let's say, 80 pence to, to a pound. And for actually women of color, black women, women of ethnic minorities, it could be as low as 57 pence to a pound, that, wow. you know, Mel could be earning. So You know, for me, that was my motivation to have that very first conversation. I wouldn't say it was the most tactful <laughs> negotiation, but I, I think I got my point across. And in hindsight, I definitely would have done it differently. But you learn, you live and you build on your character. Right. But yeah, found out they were on more than me. So I booked a meeting with my manager. I basically called them out and said, I know that this person is, is on this amount. Again, not the best approach. Because you put, you put your manager on a defensive, you know, and they say, well, you shouldn't be talking about your salary. You know, that's something that's confidential, that's private. So, yes, I had to learn how to be more tactful in approaching that conversation. So over time, I'd leverage free resources like Payscale, LinkedIn Salary, 
Glassdoor, professional networks, the conversations that I had with friends and positioning the conversation a little bit differently and saying, you know, curious to know how much this job would pay or what's the rate for this role? And could you tell me a little bit more about the process of increasing my salary by this amount? You know, if they ask you why, being able to reference the data that you have, being able to justify what you're asking for, making sure it aligns as well with the salary benchmark that your company has. And that comes with the conversations you have with people, the research that you conduct, you know, and just being as informed as you can before you go into that room and ask for more money. That must have been a you know, really hard conversation, the yeah. first one you oh, had. Oh, it was awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. I think for, for women, yeah, we talked about the, the gender pay gap and the numbers, and it's even worse for, for women of color. Yeah. Was it an additional barrier for you, or is it today? I know it, workplaces tend to become slightly more diverse, so mm. that should be helpful, but the statistics are still really, really bad. Yeah. So how do you overcome this? It depends on who you're dealing with, who you're speaking to, but you're absolutely right. That bias is still there. It's still very much prevalent, but it is getting better. But I always try and come with a positive mindset and giving people the benefit of the doubt. Because if I go in with that defeatist attitude or thought that, oh no, I'm the victim here, then that will translate through the way I communicate, through the way I come across, and it's not helping me, right? So we know what the reality is, but how do we overcome that barrier? So in the earlier days, I would say I definitely went in with that whole vibe, like, oh my gosh, am I going to be seen as super aggressive? Am I going to be seen as greedy for asking? But again, it depends on who you're speaking to. So my very first salary negotiation, fortunately for me, my manager was very open-minded. We worked very closely together. So they knew I was hardworking, but you don't get what you don't ask for. So I think they were just waiting for me to ask. It's very common. <laughs> and they were just expecting it to happen and happen at some point. So I, I did, albeit not tactfully, but um, again, that comes with, with time. So just having the confidence to back yourself is super important. Amazing. In your case, you knew like your peers were getting paid more than, than you. But what about if you don't have the information? It's hard to find in your industry. How do you do you know your worth? I mean, how do you know your numbers and come up with something you think is reasonable, you think it's fair? So the first thing that I would do is leverage the free resources out there. Go onto LinkedIn salary, type in the role that you have or the role that you're looking for and just conduct some analysis on what does this role typically pay in London? So, you know, you've got your parameters like location, industry, different types of roles, the different hierarchical structure there. You will be able to find something on, you know, what your peer group is offering for that role. Um, so I think that's super easy. So LinkedIn salary, pay scale, Glassdoor, these are all things that I've used. Even contacting someone on LinkedIn who has that role is super effective. So funnily enough, a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy that was interviewing for a role at my company. And we had a mutual connection on LinkedIn and he just reached out to me. We'd never spoken before, but the confidence that he had <laughs> to ask, oh, hi, Vivian, nice to meet you. I saw that we have this person in common, would like to catch up for a coffee. I'm interested in a role at your company. I was like, okay, well, I appreciate the, you know, I appreciate the approach. So met up for a coffee and he had asked, what's the rate for this role? You know, how much is it paying? Tell me a little bit more about the bonus structure. Tell me about this. Bear in mind, this is somebody I've never spoken to before, but had the confidence to come up to me, saw that I was in the role similar to what he was applying for, 
later found out that he'd also reached out to two, three other people within my company. So you have to be proactive and you have to have that gusto about you. And the amount of information that he got from me and my peers, he then leveraged at the interview. So there's nothing wrong with reaching out to a wider network to find out even more information and being able to leverage that at time of negotiating. Once you start your negotiation, what do you do? What do you do before? What do you do during? What do you do after? So what's your sort of negotiation uh, strategy? If you had like a framework you could share. I do. I, I'm all about framing. Um, so the first thing that I do is brain dump. Why do I want a salary increase? You know, do I feel that I'm currently being underpaid or where do I see myself going? What do I value? And making sure that's always tied with my ask as well. What have I achieved over the last 12 months, the last six months, the last quarter? Is this something that I can quantify? And is my ask reasonable? It always has to be reasonable. And if you can get that to align with value for your direct manager or value for the business, then that puts me in a stronger position. So I try and frame it as to what's my long-term and my short-term goals and is this realistic? And how can I put this across to whoever I'm asking for a pay increase? So it would be, okay, in six months time, I want to be on this. How do I go about that? So I then probably look at my KPIs. So how am I being measured at the moment? So KPIs being your key performance indicators, everyone is measured by something to determine the success of your role. So you put that down, you measure yourself against how am I doing? How have I added value to the company? What projects have I worked on that has ultimately or essentially driven return for the business? Anything that you can quantify works in your favor. You come to the conversation more prepared and build a stronger case in return. And how should you feel during this conversation? How do you prepare maybe physically, mentally yeah. to this meeting? What's going to happen during the meeting? So for me, I like to be prepared. And my friends always mock me for saying, Vivian, honestly, you analyze everything. But, you know, I, I like to be prepared. And for me, that helps me in communicating effectively and knowing that I've got data, I've got information to back me here. Because for me, if I feel unprepared, then I'm not at my best and I'm doing myself a disservice. So... You know, you want to be prepared. I get myself in the right mindset. If I'm super nervous, which happens, you know, I, put, I rehearse in front of a mirror. I think it's important to see what you look like because sometimes we could be communicating and our shoulders are rounded and then you come across super timid. So roll your shoulders back. I do. I, I practice in the mirror. I visualize. I have a group chat with my girlfriends where I say, guys, this is what I'm planning to do. Can we do a bit of role play, you know, and they can sometimes be my harshest critics as well as myself. But it's good because it gives you perspective. Right. And also humbles you in. Okay, and just doing a check on is my ask reasonable because it always has to be, you know, reasonable. I, I love that you have your, your support group and then you become accountable yeah. and you give tips to your friends. That's that's super helpful and that's something we, we also do at Vespod. When we look at the gender pay gap, I think it's been explained over time by the fact that women are less likely to negotiate their salaries. It's been shown in like Sheryl Sandberg's Lean-In book. But actually there's a lot of new research now that shows that women ask for salary increases as much as men, yeah. but we don't necessarily get them. So what do you think that is and how can we women get better at it? Yeah, I agree that we do ask as much. But I also think when I look at my experience, because that's really what I can speak from when I received all of those no's, you know, I've had to go back and review 
and look at, okay, well, what could I have done differently? And some of them, you know, I didn't have conviction in my ask. And if you don't believe in yourself and what you're asking for, then how can you expect the person on the other side of the table to back you, right? You have to be your number one cheerleader. Sometimes my asks were out of scope as well. They weren't reasonable. You know, they're, they're above the bracket, they're above the benchmark. You know, they ask you, why are you asking for this? And you think, well, I just deserve it. You know, you hear these sort of things, communicating from emotion as well. Well, I feel this, I feel I need that. I feel I've done this. If we can try and take, again, talking to my self of 10 years ago, taking emotion out of that element is, is super important. But also timing, the timing of your ask. Is this an appropriate time to ask? If your business is probably not performed well or they haven't hit their financial goals, then maybe the timing isn't isn't just right at the moment. All of these things can play a factor and also lack of follow-up. So let's say at the time you ask, nothing can be done because this happens and you agree to follow up in six months time, but then you don't agree and you're just scarred from that conversation because it was awkward and you didn't get what you want. That can hurt you in the long run. So for me, it was important to follow up as well. Say, okay, well, from this, it appears that nothing can be done at the moment. How do you feel about revisiting this in six months time? We can review my performance. We can review what has happened with the business. Will you be open to something like this? And I think that's super useful in asking those diagnostic questions that start with what, how, when, opens up the conversation a little bit more and forces the person on the other side of the table to be collaborative and in this with you. And in this uh, journey, did you get some help from anyone? I, I hear you have your accountability group. Yeah. Do you have any like support group communities, mentors, advisors, people outside and, and in, in the workplace who helped yeah. you along the way? Absolutely. I think it's important to have three types of people in your career. A sponsor, who is somebody who's respectable within your business or, or well-respected within your business has the power to make decisions on your behalf. So, you know, you can depend on them. They maybe have access to rooms and meetings that you may not and can advocate for you. So having a sponsor who will basically back you. So for me, in, in some of my past experiences, that was my direct manager, my line manager, who was my sponsor and was able to advocate for me from an objective standpoint as well. Having an influencer, so this is somebody who doesn't necessarily have to be in a position of management, but well-respected across the company. People listen to that person. So you want to look out for that. That person, when they're speaking, everybody all of a sudden falls silent and wants to know what they, what they have to say. Um, and try and nurture a relationship there, because I think if they can recognize you and mention that in the people who make the decision ultimately, and this applies to a lot of spheres of, of life. I think that could be super useful. So a sponsor, an influencer, and finally a mentor. And this could be close friends, it could be family, it could be somebody within your professional network or your personal network. Somebody you feel you can trust in confiding and they can be your sounding board. For me, this, this is my group of girls within the, my company and outside of my company. But we plan, we strategize, we role play. We're each other's critics as well as champions. So having those three roles within your career, I think is super important and can open up many doors for you. And that's one thing that I've tried to keep rolling or continuous over my career journey. We now have a question actually from the Vespot community. Okay. Um, so someone has been asking, I've asked a few times for a salary increase, but my boss refuses to give me a pay rise. 
I will ask again, but I start feeling like an imposter. What should I do? So I think these topics of fear, imposter syndromes, mm. um, especially for women, are predominant. Yeah. So how do you overcome this? I'm sure you had that and you still have it and we all have it. Absolutely. Um, but what if someone keeps on, on saying no? What, what should you do? I think you touched upon a really good point there. Fear and anxiety drives a lot of of this um, and how we feel about having these conversations. And it's super natural and okay to have doubts and to have fear, but you can't allow that to define your value and also your earning potential or just potential in general, right? So the first thing I think is important is adopting a right mindset, being positive. There's a statistic by Sean Anker, actually, The Happiness Advantage, where he says 31% of people with a positive mindset are more productive in their conversations. And actually 40% of those people go on to receive a salary increase. So I think having a positive mindset is super important. Do not see yourself as an imposter or, or imposing on somebody's time. At the end of the day, this is supposed to be a reciprocal relationship, you know, with it, with you and your employer. You're bringing something to the table and in return, they're giving you a salary. So you're just trying to strike a balance here. You're both trying to find the best solution. So see it as having a chat and a chat that needs to happen every six months to 12 months, <laughs> 18 months max, you know, and, and set that scene, but also recognize that you have options. So if you have asked multiple times, if you don't feel you're getting constructive feedback, and when I, what I mean by that is next steps or a process of how to go about that or the other options available, then you need to seriously think, is this a company that I want to work for? Because it sounds like they're not being reasonable, you know, in their ask. And I think another thing that you may want to do when it comes to negotiating your salary is think of other negotiables. And this could be financial and non-financial. So how else can you be remunerated? Could it be through stock option plans? Could it be through an educational stipend? Could it be through additional annual leave? All of these things can be quantified and boil down to a number. And then you want to balance that and see, okay, well, will I still benefit financially from this? Or if you value more time to do the things that you love, then that's something that surely should become part of your, your conversation. So definitely go in with, yes, salary increase, but three or four other things. If they say no to every single thing, you have options, explore them. You can always take your talents elsewhere. And another question I have for you is, mm. I mean, should we reveal our salaries? There's been a lot of articles now in the UK and in the US, it's becoming like a, a big subject. Is yeah. it helpful to actually tell your salaries to everyone or just like a small group or just your friends or your family? I think from my experience, it certainly helped me to be very transparent with what I'm earning because it allows other people to open up. You obviously have to be comfortable with that person to be able to disclose that money is a personal topic, you know, so some people do get awkward about talking about that, disclosing that. For some, it's completely taboo and gauche and you shouldn't be talking about that. But how do you find leverage if you don't know what your peers are on, right? So it's important to have that conversation. If you don't want to ask outright, there's ways you can talk about, you know, work around it or talk about it. So something like, how much would you expect a position like this to pay? to somebody that you know is within the remit or the area that you want to be in or somebody else who's in your role. You know, you're asking 
but you're not asking directly or indirectly asking, or where would you expect a salary for something like this to come in? You know, again, those diagnostic questions that begin with how, what, when, allows that person to open up and give you a benchmark or a ballpark. And then you can take that run and do some further research. So yes, I'm an absolute advocate for being transparent with how much you're earning. What are the most important things you've learned? And what are, what are you still working on? So that goes back to mindset. I think mindset is absolutely everything and can really determine the sort of results that you get from the conversation that you have. If you're confident, if you believe in what you're saying, and you're positive about it, you're most likely to have a positive outcome from the conversation or at least leave better off with when you went into that convo. So for me, it's it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have fears, but don't let that define your value, your earning potential and your potential in general. That's something I constantly say to myself. What's your favorite resource or resources? Do you have any books, podcasts, maybe website that you can recommend to, to our auditors? So I think the Vespod book, you know, you're not broke, Thank you're you, pretty rich. <laughs> Chapter five is great. <laughs> you're in it also. <laughs> Am I? Yeah. Um, I think it's a good reminder and just helps you structure your thoughts and helps you benchmark things as well. So you have some framework to asking for more money. I listened to She Can, She Did's podcast. I think it's super great, super relaxed as well and, and funny. Books, I've spoken about this book before, but Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I think it's great. He touches upon things like intonation, mirroring the person you're speaking to, asking and labeling. A lot of, a lot of really good tips and hacks in that book. There's also another book called What Color Is Your Parachute?, by Richard Bull in that book is more for those who are looking for a job and just puts into perspective what you value, what you want, and really conducting a deep dive on yourself. So just to summarize, Chris Voss never split the difference. What color is your parachute by Richard Bull? She can, she did as a podcast and you're not broke, you're pretty rich by Emily. Thank you, Viv. We just, you know, on Vespot, we publish some some secret money diaries, yeah. secret secret stories that are really like onto financial goals, investing. So I'd love you to answer these like very quick fire questions for me. Okay. <laughs> top three financial goals. My top three financial goals to have a well diversified portfolio. So I have, you know, multiple revenue streams of income and set myself up for early retirement <laughs> having an emergency fund I mean I do have one but just having that continue to grow as well and having a miscellaneous fund I think is good and being able to just do things that you love give because I feel good when I give just being able to have enough income and revenue to to do the things that affords <laughs> best financial decision ever my best financial decision ever was investing in financial literacy, understanding how money works, going to events where people speak about money, you know, starting to have those conversations as awkward as they were in the beginning was definitely the best financial decision I've made. And you learn so much and realize what people are up to and think, oh, I didn't even think about that. You know, if I was to speak to my 20-year-old self, I would have started investing in ISAs and stocks and bonds ASAP. <laughs> But we are where we are. <laughs> So maybe worst financial decision? My worst financial decision was keeping my savings in 
just a normal debit current account for so long. You're not seeing any growth. You know, on average, you you reap about 9.5% if you invest in, you know, stocks and shares, I said, over a lifetime. You just think, oh my goodness, my money could have grown or doubled by now. Um, so yeah, keeping it in a normal bank account for so long. What is uh, financial independence for you? Financial independence for me is buying power. It's opportunity. It's stability as well. Finally, things you spend the most money on. Okay, so I must admit, I went through my budget spreadsheet the other day and what took up the lion's share was food. I am a foodie, love it. And self-care days. <laughs> yeah, I spend a bit of money on a good facial and all sorts. <laughs> and why not? Exactly, and why not? Yeah, so I do spend a bit of money on that, but I think it's, again, good to do things that make you feel good. Amazing. Thank you so much, Viv. Thank you so much for joining me today. But lastly, where can we find you if we want to talk to you and follow what you're doing? Sure. So I don't have a website or anything. Maybe I should, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Vivian Adiosin. Feel free to connect. Also at any of the VestPod events or workshops, part of the community, love VestPod. So you can find me there as well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Viv. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Thank you.